0: Remember this verse from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. So you may be asking yourself, why is she quoting an Advent hymn? Doesn't she know it's Lent? Well, yes, I do know it's Lent. I have one of those calendars that tells me. (laughs) On these Sundays in Lent, our lessons from the Hebrew Scriptures have centered on the nature of covenant. We've heard part of the story of Noah and the flood, and part of the story of Abraham and Sarah's walk with God. And we have now jumped across the centuries to Sinai, where the people of Israel have paused in their journey from slavery in Egypt, ...and are encamped at Mount Sinai. We are at an important moment in salvation history. The people of Israel have come to the mountain. And this is not just any mountain. It's obvious from what preceded the lection we heard read this morning... ...that the mountain is a volcano... ...and an active volcano at that. There's smoke, there's fire, the ground is shaking and rocks are falling... All in all, a pretty impressive display of God's might. This is no ordinary mountain, but the dangerous environment of holiness. This is the place where human beings, ordinary human beings, have contact with the holy. This contact is disquieting and disturbing. And so the people are on edge and out of balance. These feelings are important for they open the people to the transformation which is to come. The scene is set. The mountain provides the dangerous meeting place that will leave nothing unchanged. The scene sends a powerful message. As the mountain is not ordinary, God is not ordinary. And even more, the people are destined not to be ordinary rather the community of faith both the people of israel and the people of the church the community of faith is given a vocation to be a distinct presence in the world on behalf of the world our jewish friends would say that this is for the healing of the world the giving and receiving of the law binds israel to god's vision for humanity for social possibility and places Israel under obedience. The people pledge themselves to a God who is an active, decisive presence in our common public life, but whose holiness is beyond our most pious efforts at control and manipulation. Throughout the centuries, people have always lived in a world of options, of alternative choices and other gods, who make powerful, competing appeals. The alternatives are known by many names. Ball, the emperor, either the Roman emperor or Darth Vader's, take your choice. (laughs) Progress, and the the choice of isms, militarism, racism, consumerism. All these offer joy, well-being, and security. The Ten Commandments describe for us an alternate way of life. To ignore them is to wander in less-than-life-giving ways and even into the ways of death, where God's faithfulness will be of little use to us. In effect, God says, Trust me, those other teachings are not good for you. The life you think they bring you is not real life. One commentator reminds us that law is not the best translation of Torah. Directions or teachings are better translations. But they are not, as we sometimes hear, the ten suggestions. (laughs) But they are much, much more than just a list of rules. The teachings are a way of life for God's people, a broad outline of what should be included in our relationship with God and the members of our communities. When we see representations of the tablets of the law, they are often shown with four on one tablet and six on the other. When I was a child, this drove me crazy because I wanted it to be even. The first four commandments deal with our obligations to God and the last six concern relationships between the covenant people. Yet all the obligations are directly related to God for relationships within the family and community are to be treated as sacred. The commandments are set within the context of God's redemptive purposes and present the core and sum of the Mosaic law. Their purpose is to show us the kind of life God expects from God's people. Now, here's a little something I read about the commandments, which gave me some new insight, and it might help you, too. John Calvin. I never thought I would be quoting John Calvin in a sermon. John Calvin suggested that the commandments that begin with, thou shalt not, are more than a list of rules that tell us what not to do. Rather they encourage us to do the opposite of what is forbidden. Thinking this way, the commandment not to steal becomes an exhortation to generosity and the commandment not to kill becomes a call to nourish life. When we think about them in these ways, they become much more for us than a list of rules and we truly allow them to become life principles, or life practices. Finally, remember that the teachings were given to a people who had been rescued from slavery. Their, election, their salvation and election as God's people were not earned by obedience to the law. God's action came first. Obedience to the teaching was their imp- appropriate response to what God had already done. Remember also that the awe of the people did not prevent them from almost immediately violating the first and second commandments about making and worshiping false gods and breaking all of them thereafter on a regular basis. They were frail, flawed human creatures, and we are frail, flawed human creatures. Yet God continues to reach out to us to show us the path that leads to full and abundant life, to invite us to be the people God calls us to be. We honor the Ten Commandments by practicing them, for embodying God's word is almost always more difficult than just talking about it. Amen.